Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. Want me to come and talk to you, talk to you about your attitude. Well, I got quiet about my attitude, your attitude. And it's not a bad thing. So attitudes can make or break us. Amen. Amen. So tonight we're going to talk about an attitude in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. You probably know this story. I know you do. It's a story of Naaman and Naaman's attitude. It says in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. And stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Verse 12, are not Abana and Fair Par rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned in a way and went away in a rage. He didn't have too good of an attitude about this. Here he was the one with the problem, but he didn't have the right attitude. But I look at it and give him a pass in one sense that he, he was not an Israelite. He was a Gentile. He, was, he didn't understand everything about all that was supposed to be done, but yet uh, it was a time for him to receive healing in his body a miracle that he needed desperately, but yet he had the wrong outlook because he had an outlook and, and thought that there's a certain way God's going to do this or the prophet's going to do this. And, and if it doesn't go my way, then it's, it's a failure. So tonight I want to talk about an attitude can either make or break. It can either make or break. It was said by a man named Viktor Frankl. He was a concentration camp survivor. I have met a concentration camp survivor. I've done work for him in his house and also for his business and his family. And uh, matter of fact, he even had, he, as a young man, young child, he had the tattoo of the numbers on his arm where he was in a concentration camp many years ago and um, suffered through that struggle. And it could have broken him, but he came out of it. And I don't know all the facts and figures of his family and what all happened there, but he survived. But here was a man named Victor Frankel. 
and he was a concentration camp survivor, and he had some very special words to say about an attitude. He said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's way. Everything can be taken away from you. And then this man in the concentration camp, everything was taken away. His, his family was put in um, concentration camps. They didn't know if they were going to live or die. But they were, everything that they had was taken away. They were put in a place where their life could be taken at any moment. But yet everything can be taken from a man but one thing, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. Sometimes it just matters the way we look at things. We could go through a very difficult time. We could go through a very difficult situation. And... Uh, how we look at it, how we perceive it, how we think about it, how our attitude is about it can, can either make it or break it. It could change it. It could make it go the wrong direction or it can make it go in the right direction. It was said that by Steve Goodyear in Quote Magazine uh, in Reader's Digest version of ni- in 1990, He said these words, he said, both the hummingbird and the vulture fly over our nation's deserts. All vultures see, all vultures see is rotting meat because that is what they look for. They thrive on that diet. But hummingbirds ignore the smelly fish of dead animals. Instead, they look for the colorful blossoms of desert plants. The vultures live on what was. They live on the past. They, li- they fill themselves with what is dead and gone. But hummingbirds live on what is. They seek new life. They fill themselves with freshness and life. Each bird finds what it's looking for. We all do. We, we all find what we're looking for. If we're looking for doubt and unbelief, we're going to find it. And we're not going to find anything in, in the miraculous area or supernatural area. But if we're looking for God to move and walk into this building in faith, believing and trusting in God, we're going to see it. If we're looking for something that's dead, that's, that's destroyed, we're going to find it. But if we look for something that is full of life, full of God, full of victory, full of deliverance, we're going to find that also. It really depends on what we're looking for. And that's the reason why I believe that it's so important for us to to come to the house of the Lord and not just in the house of the Lord, but every day walking in life, get up out of bed and I'm looking for God in everything that I'm going to be a part of today. I'm looking for God to be in that that event, that, that, that struggle or that victory. I'm looking for God in everything that there is. He's all around us. I was praying for a good friend of mine that I worked with. He's retired now, and the Lord just kind of laid on my heart, and I just need to call him. So I, I called him up, talked to him. He, he was having a few health issues, and, and uh, he's, he's getting a little bit older. And um, as I was talking to him, I just felt like the Lord was leading me to just ask him if he had been baptized. And um, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I was baptized. 
He said, I was baptized by Herschel Godare in southeast Missouri. I said, well, I was going to baptize you if you weren't baptized, but I know Herschel Godare baptized you in Jesus' name. So we had a good conversation. But, you know, in everything that we do, everywhere we're at, we can find someone, something, some event, some experience where we can see God move. If we're looking for the dead things, we're going to find dead things. We're going to come up with no supernatural miracle. But if we are looking for life and we're looking for revival, we're looking for victory and healing and deliverance, we're going to find it. Matter of fact, I, I'm a firm believer that if we, t- if we take the opportunity to pray for people that are in need every day, uh, there's going to be a whole lot more chances that someone's going to be healed. We just dive in and take the chance. Sometimes it is, it, it, it's all along the lines of, uh, you know, do, you know we, 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 we hold back because we think, well, they, do they want to hear this? Do they believe in prayer? Why not take the chance? All they can say is no. But most of the time people say yes. If they're hurting and they're sick, it's all about the perspective. It's all about the attitude. It's all about the attitude of believing in God that he's going to move. He's going to perform a miracle. Amen. I believe it and I know you believe it. Amen. I, was, I, I know that the way we look at things can change everything. It was the noted English architect, Sir Christopher Wren, was supervising the construction of a magnificent cathedral in London. A journalist thought it would be interesting to interview some of the workers on this work site. So he chose three men that were working there and asked them this question. He said, what are you doing what are you doing? And when you ask that question, you could get a lot of varied answers, you know. What, what are you doing? As they were building this beautiful cathedral in London. And the first replied, I'm cutting stone for, let's see, uh, I'm cutting stone for 10 shillings a day. That was his perspective and his attitude. Just a job. Just trying to make some money. The next answered, I'm putting in 10 hours a day on the job. That's his perspective that's his attitude about this building of this beautiful cathedral and then he went to the third one and the third one said I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren construct one of London's greatest cathedrals he felt like he was putting himself into something that was great you see we as children of God are putting ourselves into something great We are putting ourselves into something that is powerful. We're putting our lives and our prayers and our worship and our our walk with God, our life, we're putting our lives into something that is so powerful and is so glorious, amen, that will change people's lives. This is not just coming and filling in space and coming to church. This is a life-changing experience here. We need to spread the word out. Amen. There are miracles that God wants to perform and he wants them, he wants to do so much more than what we've seen, what we've experienced, what we've felt, what, we, what we've seen happen. We, he wants to do so much more. We desire it. We want it. But it's all about the way we look at it. The way we look at it. What, what are we doing here tonight? No, we're not just putting in time. So pastor doesn't call us and get on to us. 
because I didn't show up for church or whatever. No. Uh, what, what are we doing here? Uh, well, I'm just putting in my couple of hours. What's expected? No. What are we doing here? No, we're building a kingdom for God. A kingdom for God that will never fail. His government will never fail. We're building a kingdom for the, for the Lord. Amen. We're working for him. We're building. We're putting things into place and trusting in him and building our faith and praying and seeking him because he is a miracle-working God. Amen. But you see, an attitude can make or break things in our lives. Uh, Naaman. Naaman was a... a he was a man that was a commander of the army of the king of Syria. And the Bible says that he was a great and honorable man. He was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him, the Bible says that the Lord had given victory to Syria by the hand, but because of him, it says. Because of Naaman. He was a an honorable man. Matter of fact, the Bible even says he was also a mighty man of valor. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. He was a leper. He had a big need. He had a need in his life, but he was a great man, great commander of, a, of the army of Syria. But um, even though Naaman was the chief military commander of a very persistent enemy that attacked Israel and Judah, even as recently as uh, of Ahab and Jehoshaphat. Syria had fought and they had won against Israel. His position and success made him a great and honorable man. And personally, he was a mighty man of valor. Now this is, a, this is something the Bible tags upon people and it doesn't just go to everybody but there's a few in the bible that the, the that the scriptures talk about as being a mighty man of valor in this title it was applied to Gideon in the book of Judges 6 and 12 a mighty man of valor was given to Jephthah in Judges 11 and 1 it was also given to David in 1 Samuel 16 and 18 it was given to Jeroboam in the book of 1 Kings 11 and 28. It was also given to another man that you have not heard much about, but his name was Eliada in 2 Chronicles 17 and 7. And it seems that this is the only specific Gentile mentioned in the Bible as a mighty man of valor. The others were leaders of Israel. They were fighters of Israel. They were commanders of Israel. They were ones that went out and fought in battle and they were not afraid to fight. But the same title was placed upon Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army that constantly battled with Israel and Judah. But he was a leper and he had a big struggle in his life. Naaman had a lot going for him he had position, he had, he had fame, he had, he had honor, and he was used to being honored. But he had a leprosy, a disease in his body. He had a lot going for him, but what he had against him was devastating. He was a leper. 
And that leprosy, uh, which meant that he had a horrible, incurable disease that would slowly result in his death. No matter how good and how successful everything else was in Naaman's life, he was struggling. He was struggling with this disease that was going to bring his end, his death. But here was a heavy tax upon his grandeur, a heavy weight upon his honor. He was afflicted with disorder, the most loathsome and the most humiliating that could possibly disgrace a human being was the leprosy. The disease of leprosy. You know what the results of leprosy are? In ancient leprosy, it began as a small red spot on the skin. Before too long, the spot got bigger and started to turn white with sort of a shiny or scaly appearance. How many have read in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where they're talking about going to the priest and getting the priest to look and see if this thing has a, a white hair or whatever and all these different descriptions of leprosy. And I'm, I'm thinking, thank God that I don't live in the Old Testament, that you have to come to me and ask to look at whatever to see if it's leprosy. Thank the Lord I don't have to take animals and sacrifice them but yet we do have sacrifice today thank God in worship and praise to him but uh, it was it was a sort of shiny or scaly appearance pretty soon the spot spread over the whole body and and hair begins to fall out first from the head then even from the eyebrows as things get worse fingernails and toenails become loose they start to rot and eventually fall off. Then the joints of fingers and toes begin to rot and fall off piece by piece. Gums begin to shrink and they can't hold the teeth in the mouth anymore. So each of them is lost. Leprosy just keeps eating and eating away at the body. It even eats away at their face until literally the nose, the palate, and even the eyes rot and the victim wastes away until death. What a terrible, terrible disease. I was in Haiti and I had mentioned this before. I think Mom Sheets remembers this, but I went up to, a, 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 with Dad Sheets up to a northern uh, town, I believe it was in the north, and it was like it was like stepping back into 150 years of history when you, like some old town in, in Haiti. And we drove up there. I was sitting in the vehicle, and he was transferring some literature to the preacher, the pastor that was there. That he, he came, I don't know how many miles to get there, and he was giving him some literature for their church. And as I was sitting there, I, I was just paying attention, kind of looking around this town, and then all of a sudden I heard a knock on the window beside my face and I I turned to look and there was a woman standing there with her face right up against the window and she had no nose there's no nose I don't know how what happened to her. I don't know if it was some type of a leprosy or some type maybe a, a deformed in her birth or whatever but you could actually look down into her face because it was just an opening a gap a hole there in his face and it was terrible. I don't know what happened there in that situation, but it was a terrible. It spooked me at first. I didn't know what to do, you know. So I just sat there in the vehicle until finally she, she went on. But I, I didn't know what to do. 
But there are some terrible situations in life of people that are in some terrible, terrible positions and terrible diseases and struggles of life. But here was Naaman. He was in a terrible position, but he was highly honored, a man of great honor and valor, but he was a leper. Had all of these things just eating away at his body. He needed a miracle. And in this captivity of Israel going and them taking people away from Israel and from Judah to Syria, the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. That was her work. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of this leprosy. If he could only go and meet with this prophet. The prophet was Elisha. If he could only go. You see, she was in a foreign land, but yet her teaching and training had showed her what could happen in this man's life. She cared for he would heal him of his leprosy. The girl was an unwilling missionary in a captivity from Israel and now in Syria. Yet God allowed the tragedy of her captivity to accomplish a greater good. She could have looked at it and I know that her heart was to go back home to Israel. But she made the best of her situation and she looked at it with an attitude of faith. She looked at it with an attitude of hope. There is hope here. As she began to, as a missionary in a foreign land, began to speak the words, if you could only take the master to the prophet in Israel, he would heal him. It says it illustrates basically the... the the ministerious ways that God works at times. She was in a foreign land. She wanted to be home, but yet God was using her at this point, at this time, and her attitude was right. She was probably raised in a godly home, yet taken from her family at a very young age. But this also shows how important it is in the training of her life and the teaching of her life that in a foreign land, in a foreign place, she remembered. She remembered what could happen because she was taught faith. She was taught what God did as they crossed the Red Sea. She was taught what God did while they were in the wilderness. She was taught that God fed them, that God took care of them, that God clothed them. You see, even though she was in a foreign place, still that teaching came back to her and let her know that there is still hope here today. If only my master would be with the prophet, that he would be healed. But Naaman comes to the king of Israel looking for healing. In this story, of course, the king of Syria, he was the one that began to think, well, listen to the words of this young girl that came captive 
why don't we send Naaman, the man that is of great valor, to the prophet, to the king of Israel and to the prophet, and let him be healed. So he began to orchestrate this. And Naaman went in and, and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now he advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes. What can I do? The king was all upset. Is he trying to set me up? Evidently, the king didn't have much of a relationship at that time with the prophet. Otherwise, he would have welcomed this situation. But he was walking in fear. As he came there, he, he began to say to the king, here's the letter. He even, brought, he even brought ten talents of silver and some gold. And in our day, when that figures up, totaling it, it's about $1.2 million that he brought from the king of Syria. You know why? Because they were desperate for an answer, an answer. That's a lot of money, a lot of money. All this together shows how desperate Naaman's condition was that he was dying and how badly the king of Syria wanted to help him. But when Elijah, Elisha heard about this, so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. But the thing about Naaman, Naaman had a preconceived idea of what all was going to happen. You know, with God, you can't get a preconceived idea of what God's going to do. God does things in unusual ways. We have seen, we've got testimony, we have seen God do things in such unusual ways. You can't look at God and, and get it all lined up and exactly what God's going to do and tell God what he's going to do. You just pray and believe that God's going to take care of it in his own way and trust him and accept it. Why have you torn your clothes? Elijah was looking at this like the king, he's all upset. Send him to me. Then he'll know there is a prophet in Israel. There is a God in Israel that can take care of this situation. Please let him come. Naaman would, would never know that there was a prophet in Israel by hanging around the royal palace because the king was full of doubt and unbelief. Send him to the prophet. So Elijah, or Elisha sent a messenger to him. He said, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. I baptized four or five people in the Jordan River. It's not like Table Rock Lake, Luke. It's not that clean, but we baptize people 
Some people that had never been baptized in the name of Jesus, we baptized them there in the Jordan River. It was a powerful experience. But when Naaman was thinking about this, he was a man that was honored. He was a man that had, had a lot of great things in his life, probably even had a lot of money in his life. But he had a great need. And he had preconceived ideas of the way this would all go down. Of course, he was a Gentile. He didn't understand it the like, like Israel, the, the children of Israel would look at it. But when Elisha sent a messenger to him, Naaman took the, the trouble to come to the house of Elisha, but Elisha refused to give him a personal audience. And that made Naaman mad. I've always got honor. At least he could come down and talk to me face to face. But Elisha didn't. Elisha, Elisha sent a messenger and gave him a message. Just simply said, go. Put yourself down seven times in the Jordan River and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. This was very humbling to Naaman. He had never had anybody tell him things like this before. He had never had anybody say it like that. At least you could come face to face and have a conversation with me. I went to all the effort to come to your house. And you choose not to come out and see me. But you sent a messenger. This was a very humbling experience for Naaman who was accustomed to being honored. Go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. These were simple, uncomplicated instructions. Just simple. Go to the Jordan River, wash seven times and you will be clean of this leprosy. It also says he surely... He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Naaman had it all figured out. Everything that we think that we got all figured out when we put it in the hands of God, sometimes it's just totally, God does it totally opposite of what we think it should be. Should we get mad at God because of that? No. Should our attitude toward God be anger? Why didn't he do it this way? We're always looking for the easier way out. I know that it would have been a whole lot nicer to go to a clean stream. There's some streams down in my, my neck of the woods. that Well, two places we used to go swim is Bear Creek and Bull Creek. And that has nothing to do with the stock market, by the way, that I know of. All Other than there was probably some bulls in the stream at one time, and they call it Bull Creek. And there was probably some bears, which there were bears there at one time. They call it Bear Creek. But there was some water there in those streams that was so crystal clear that it was just as clear as this right here. You could drink the water. Yeah, it would have been nice to be told to go to the crystal clear stream, the spring coming out of the ground, and wash there. But you see, sometimes God's trying to check us out to find out how humble we are before him. Sometimes his instructions are different than what we expect. 
we expect it to be a certain way, in a certain order, everything to be put in order exactly the way we feel it should be when God is looking at how humble are we before him. Sometimes people get mad at God. It's sad that, that there are times that people get so mad at God. I hear people blaming God for so many things. The church gets blamed. The, the, the God gets blamed. The people of God get blamed. This and that. and The word of God gets blamed. You know why it gets blamed? Because some people don't want it the way that the Bible says it. That's the way, reason why people get upset. But you know, it's the word of God just the way it is. It's going to save us. It's not some prefabbed thought in my own mind to do it my own way. That's the reason why we got so many religions in our world today. It's because everybody wants to do it the easy way out. The way, But really what it comes down to, let me say this. The easy way out is to do it God's way. That's the easy way out. When it's all said and done, and you do it the way God wants it to d- done, it is done perfect. But Naaman had an attitude. He had preconceived ideas. Seems that God gets the blame for many things. But it's not God's fault. He's just trying to say, this is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Thank God for truth. Because if we didn't have truth, we'd have lies. And if we had lies, we would be following the father of lies, which is Satan. Thank God for truth. I want the word of the Lord just the way it is. Don't change it. Don't, put any, don't take anything out of it. Don't put anything into it. It's perfect the way it is. It's God's word. It's a word of deliverance. It's a word of victory. It's a word will bring forth miracles in our lives at unusual times. It can happen in a moment's time. God can perform a miracle in a moment's time. Or he can perform a miracle as he chooses, maybe in a month or two months or maybe a year's time. That's okay. We like it right now. But that's okay because God's got this. He understands what needs to be done at the right time. But what about the way we look at God if it's not done exactly the way you think it should be done and he chooses to do it different? Do we get an attitude like Naaman? I expected it to be done a different way. No, you expected it to be done your way. I expect it to be done my way. But do it God's way. That's the perfect way. God's way. When it's all finished, it's perfect. Everything works out. Where we think that it's got to be done and this has got to fall into place, that's got to fall. No, just let God speak the word and it just happens. Let God's spirit just move and it just happens. The power of God can change things right now in this moment. And I know that you believe that. I know you believe it because you have seen the miracles. You've experienced the miracles. You've got them in your life. You've got them in your family. You've got, them, you've got miracles in, in your church family. You, you believe it. You trust it. God's come through so many times. But Naaman was given a prophet, and he's basically given God an attitude. I could have went to a different stream. There's a couple of streams in, my, in Damascus that I could have dunked in and I could have been clean, but 
You're saying go to the Jordan River in Israel. It's kind of a, it's not crystal clear, trust me. It's a little foggy, a little cloudy. I wouldn't want to drink of the Jordan River. But if that's what God says through the prophet, trust me, if I got leprosy, I'm going to do it. And I know you would too. Because our attitude toward God is God knows all things. He's got this in his hand. He knows what needs to be done at the right time. So we just keep on praying. We keep on believing. We keep on trusting in the Lord. Amen. I'm not going to cop an attitude toward God because I know he knows the beginning. He knows the ending. He knows everything in between. Amen. No attitude toward God. Just trust him. Because he knows. He knows what needs to be done. And there is a plan that God has going on right now that you don't even know of. Because you prayed. Because you prayed. And because you believed. There is a plan that is going on right now for your life, for your family, for your children, for your spouse, for your loved ones, for your friends. There is a plan that is going on right now because you prayed and you believed. It's as simple as that. Because that's the way God said for us to do it. It might seem like a lot of prayers going up and nothing's happening, but you know, it's like Naaman saying, I could have did it a different way, but no, prophet said go to the Jordan River and, and dunk yourself seven times. Charles Spurgeon saw Naaman attacked by two enemies. First of all, he saw him attacked by an enemy of proud self who internally demanded that Elisha come out and see him. And he also saw... A, an enemy fighting against him named evil questioning who questioned why he should wash in the Jordan when he had better rivers back in his own homeland. Naaman overcame these two enemies and did what God told him to do, but it took some things falling into place. And that was the good advice of Naaman's servants. The servants saw the attitude of Naaman he was mad. He, the Bible even said that he, he went out very wroth. He was very angry that he would be treated this way. But evidently the Lord spoke to Elisha and knew that Naaman needed a little bit of humbling in his life. So when they saw this attitude of Naaman, this attitude could have either made him or broke him. It could have broken his his miracle in his life, this attitude that Naaman had against, against God, God's word, God's word through Elisha to go to the Jordan River. But they began to speak to him. His servants came near and spoke to him. And they tell, told him some very interesting things. They said, you know, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? Servants of Naaman used a brilliantly, brilliant, 
uh, logical approach to this. If, if Elijah had asked Naaman to sacrifice a hundred or a thousand animals to the God of Israel, Naaman would have done it immediately or had done something great because he was, he was into this pomp and circumstance and glory and honor. And that's what he was used to. He was a man of valor. But when you're in a position of a disease that's eating up your body, even to death, of leprosy, I would think he would want to do whatever it takes to find his healing in his body. But the servants came along and thanked the Lord for the servants. They began to talk reason unto Naaman. And out of his frustration, a bit of humbling, he decided to do it against his will, I'm sure. So he went down and dipped seven times. Let's see, Second Kings chapter 5, verse 14. Then went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Simple instructions of God through the prophet. Dip seven times. If he had held up and done it just six times, he wouldn't have got his healing. If his attitude stopped him before that, this is foolish. This is enough of this. I've already dipped six times. Why do I need to dip one more time? But he went ahead and did that seventh time. And when he did that seventh time, he came up out of the water, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. A miracle, a wonder of the Lord. Supernatural experience. You know, I didn't really think about it the day I was baptizing people in the Jordan River, but Naaman went down seven times and a miracle took place there. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. A lot of miracles happened there. But you know, when we do it the way God wants us to do it, according to his word, miracles happen. Miracles happen. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. He came with a different attitude. And he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. If the king had pushed him off because he didn't believe in the power of a miracle, I don't know what what place spiritually that king was at. I don't think it was in a very good place. But it was reliant upon the king of Israel. He wouldn't have not got his miracle. But when it came down to Elisha, the prophet, he had a word for him, an instruction for him, and he did it. 
And he did it exactly the way it was done, and his attitude changed. But his attitude could have kept him. If his attitude was so strong and kept him from listening to the servants that were reasoning with him, that just do what he says to do, you are desperate. If his attitude had not changed, he would not have received his miracle. So today in our lives, When we pray and ask God to do it a certain way and he doesn't come through the way we think he should at the right time that we think he should, don't cop an attitude toward God. Just say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. There's prayers that all of us are praying for God to come through. We're asking God to work a miracle for certain people, certain situations. We're asking for God to touch and We might not have even seen one ounce of a movement in that. Don't stop praying. Simply do what God has said to do and what he asked us to do. Pray and believe. Pray and believe. Keep knocking on the door. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep knocking. The, the, the answer's coming. God has got a, a plan that is working. You have prayed. You have believed And God has got a plan that he's working on right now and you don't see it. Because when he works it out, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be right. And it's going to be a miracle. Oh, I thank the Lord for his powerful instructions and powerful word. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him and he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. This was Elijah saying, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Because this is God's miracle. This is God's miracle. I didn't work the miracle. Elisha did not work the miracle. He just—he was just a messenger sending a message from the Lord to him. How unusual it might have seemed to dip seven times in the Jordan River. You know what the number seven means in the Bible? Does anybody know? What's that? Completeness. Seven. Yes. Completeness. Seven times. So when we give our offerings up unto the Lord in our praise and our worship and our prayers and we send them up to the Lord and we're, we're seeking God, keep believing. There's, it's just simple instruction. God's just telling us, don't stop believing. Let your attitude be, thank you, Lord. Praise him for it. And when you pray, thank God for it. Worship him. Praise him. Because it's an acknowledgement of us to God that says, God, I prayed, I've done what you said, and I'm going to keep believing. And I'm just saying to you, I believe, and I trust you in this. I trust you. Amen. God is, God is setting us up for some miracles. There's some powerful plans that God's got going right now. Because we have prayed. We prayed for revival. We prayed for a move of the Lord. We prayed for miracles. We prayed for wonders. We're not going to stop praying. We're not going to 
stop believing. We're not going to stop trusting God because our, our attitude to the Lord is, Lord, I trust you. I, I trust everything you're doing right now. Whatever it is, you got your hand on it, I know, because I prayed and I believed. God has got this. Amen. I like for us to stand and just lift our hands and give thanks unto the Lord because every one of us here have prayed and believed and we know that God's got a plan that he's working right now. Let's thank him for it. Amen. It's an acknowledgement to our Lord that we believe in the power of his spirit. We believe and trust in you, God. Oh, we thank you, Lord.